Hi everyone, this is a conversation with Matthew Faint. He's been a professional clown for 50 years and it was a really interesting conversation into such an unusual career. I think the highlight was probably hearing about his time entertaining children at Great Ormond Street Hospital. And yeah, I hope you find it interesting. If you do, please hit subscribe and thanks for watching. Okay, Matthew, thanks so much for joining me. Thank you. It's great. Great to have you in my parking basement here. <laughs> Do you want to tell us a little bit um, about where we are, first of all, and what kind of items are around here? Um, this is uh, the museum's collection, the Clown Museum's collection, which has um, ended up in my basement because we don't have premises at the moment, but um, I'm sure we will. But during lockdown, this has been perfect for me because I've been fixing, looking at DVDs. Uh, basically, it's been a really lovely place to be. The funniest, funniest room in London I've got it, because I think it was, you know. Pretty I was the only person seeing it, because this... It, it houses so many memories and so many uh, people's lives down here, clowns that have uh, uh, spread their laughter throughout their life and have now ended up in a box in my basement. Mm. <laughs> and you've got the world's largest egg clown collection in here as well, 300 eggs. Yeah, painted. the uh, clown egg collection is fascinating. It's a, um, a record, uh, a a 3d picture if you like of uh somebody's clown face and it started in it started before the second world war by a guy called stan bolt who was a, a clown and circus enthusiast and uh, he started putting uh, clowns faces on eggs and um his collection was vast, about 300 or so uh, clowns he'd done, most of them from life. He'd gone to the circus and caught the clown backstage and painted his face on an egg. Um, and we reinvented the egg register in about 1985. And we have about 250 eggs that have been made since then. So it's a vast collection and needs a lot of display, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. And Matthew, you've been a clown, professional clown for over 50 years. Yes. But I want to go back to the start of your life, first of all, and kind of <laughs> run through things. So you're actually born in the same hometown as me. Plymouth. Plymouth Endeavour. Plymouth yeah. Bay. <laughs> Can you tell me a little bit about your life and what it was like growing up? Well, it was interesting because I was growing up in Plymouth after the war. The war had only been over seven years and Plymouth had very badly devastated. The whole centre of Plymouth was destroyed because of the dockyard. Um, so a lot of bomb sites. Not that I grew up playing on bomb sites, but I remember the bomb sites. You know. Um, so it was, and also unnamed. I was born in '52, and Matthew means a gift of God, and Neville, which is my second name, means a new city. Newville, New City. So I'm a gift of God to the New City, which is very clever <laughs> for them to think that up. <laughs> but 
But it was great to grow up in Plymouth. I don't think I'd want to live there. I think you and I, we talked earlier, both left at a really good time. We left to find our fortune. Great place to grow up with Dartmoor just around the corner. Dad always had a boat, so we were either on Dartmoor or we were out on the boat. Dad was a, an artist. He was a, um, a um, silkscreen printer commercial artist on the Barbican of Plymouth, but always going out with a sketchbook or his oil painting. Um, and we'd find amazing places to sit and he would paint for hours, you know. So, yeah, it was a great place to grow up. Mm. And what were you like as a child? How would you describe yourself? Um, well, not an only child, but my sister's eight years older than me, nine, eight and a half. So we grew up separately, if you like. Um, and my hobby was puppetry. Um, from the age of five, I was <laughs> getting dirty washing and putting wires across the bottom of the legs of the table and making little shows, you know, to play around. And my father made me for my sixth birthday a puppet theatre. It was his second-hand hobby. He never really liked puppetry, but he could see exactly what I wanted. So he made me a beautiful puppet theatre, which started off as hand puppets. Uh, and I wasn't into hand puppets, I was into string puppets. So all of a sudden I had a stage without holes in it. Mm. It made me a stage and then wanted scenery. So it made me a fly tower to go on the top. With And then next birthday I'd get lights for it and curtains. And I just took, uh, I, I took it and ran with it. And I was always up in the bedroom making shows. Again, not surprising that I should go into performing um, because, or working in theatre actually, because it's great having a puppet theatre, but it's very small. <laughs> and I love theatre. I love the, the inanimate object of theatre. There's something about working in theatre which is just very sacred in a way. You know, you walk into a building which is quite cold and quite eerie sometimes and then by the evening it's turned into this fabulous purveyor of entertainment and then whoosh, it shuts down again whoosh, you know it's great so I, I did puppetry right the way through um but then I started doing lots of plays at school as well uh <laughs> We've seen everything and making the scenery mm. <laughs> and doing the soundtracks, you know, doing all sorts of things. <clears throat> but my father was not against me working or doing stuff after school. He, he just, being a sort of Victorian dad, would say, you don't go to school to do that. You go to school to, you know, get educated, you know. I said, well, I am getting educated, you know. But he was ill, which was very rare for my father, and he was in bed with a heavy cold. And he read in the Daily Mail about uh, the National Youth Theatre, which is sponsored by the Daily Mail. And he just said to me, why don't you audition for this? Wow, Dad actually saying that I should go and <laughs> do something in the arts. 
So I auditioned for the youth theatre. Went to Bristol. First time on a train by myself. <laughs> um, I think three and a half thousand people auditioned the year I got in. Um, and I went back for a, a second audition and I was accepted into the youth theatre. Not as an actor, as a prop maker and scenery maker. And it was a fantastic education in Chalk Farm. Um, in fact, I did a gig in, in the same place that we used to make props in. I said, I remember this place when I was 17. <laughs> it was fab. It, and then I went straight into working into theatre. I had, well, I had a choice. I, the course finished. It was uh, a 10-week course making six productions, not just for London, but Germany and Newcastle, I think we did, but Sunderland we did a production for. And um, uh, Roundhouse, we had plays, and it, it was a real experience. But come the end of the youth theatre, you sort of, thank you very much, good night. So I touted myself around the West End. And I got a, a job as an assistant board operator at a theatre that's now gone. The Savile Theatre, which is the Odeon in uh, Shaftesbury Avenue, Upper St. Shaftesbury Avenue. It used to be called the uh, Savile. Um, very famous theatre was owned by Brian, Brian Epstein. And he'd just died when I went to work at the Savile. And he used to put on Sunday concerts there uh, and they cancelled them all but there was one they couldn't cancel it was the Rolling Stones concert <laughs> so we had a, a set on stage with a three and a half ton of sand and a tank called Enemy set in the Second World War and uh, we had to move three and a half ton of sand and all the set for one night for a Sunday night concert with the Rolling Stones, <laughs> which, fab, got to meet the Mo Rolling Stones at 17, you know. Uh, and um, I don't think I'd ever seen so much money. I worked like 48 hours non-stop, slept in the theatre, you know. But I'd, I started clowning when I was working at the Shaftesbury. Uh, in 1971, I, I started kind of rehearsed at the Shaftesbury on, on the stage of hair. Um, our first, or my first real sort of clowning was done at um, a Zion House Garden Centre in Chiswick in the summer holiday, six weeks there, um, as a walking signpost, really. It was a puppet festival, so I was directing traffic and we were doing little shows and I just loved it. The art of transforming yourself into a completely different person when you're in a clown costume. And I've said it many times, it allows you to be mad controllably. Mm. You have this wonderful freelance approach to life 
where everything is a prop <laughs> and everybody is part of the act if they want to be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's always been my other character right the way through my life. And sometimes I have yearned to be a clown because it just gives you such energy, which you don't have uh, normally. You just can't be mad in life. People just look at you strangely if you suddenly go, Oh, hello, <laughs> how are you doing? <laughs> I think you're absolutely off the wall, <laughs> which is great because mm. there's always the secret within your own personality that it can come out at any time. <laughs> they say once a clown, always a clown. Mm. Where was I? <laughs> well, that's good. I, I was just going to ask actually because you said um, you said that you like being able to become a second character, a second person, mm. and this freedom and. You have to be a bit mad, but why? Why? Why do you think? Why are you drawn to desiring to be a, be a second person? Not everyone has even thought of that. Why? Why do you think you're like this? Um, I think it's what you can do as that second person. Um, the sort of clowning that I've done is quite rare. Uh, for instance, I worked for 19 years as a clown doctor. Um which was, <laughs> I think, one of the most amazing experiences I've ever had in life, to walk into a hospital. And I used to work at Great Ormond Street at least once a week, sometimes twice. <clears throat> Many other hospitals as well, but always Great Ormond Street. And we were classed as doctors. We were laughter therapists. So I, I worked for a charity, the Theodore Children's Charity. And virtually started the charity in London. There were two of us when I started. Um, and when I left, uh, 36 other huge organisations supplying performers around the country in lots and lots of hospitals. Of course, all that is <clears throat> at the moment on sort of hold because um, with COVID, any hospital workers not allowed anymore. Interestingly, I had a um, rudimentary training to be a clown doctor, far more training now than I ever had. Um, And it was brought home how mm, serious the work was at Great Ormond Street because I'd done work in hospitals with another charity called POD. Um, where you go to a playroom and you just entertain the children that are the walking wounded, if you like, that can come to see the show. Uh, in Great Ormond Street, we used to do bed-to-bed work and uh, far more intense uh, because Great Ormond Street only deals with extreme cases. If you ha- Nobody in Great Ormond Street has a broken leg, for instance. You know, They're all serious conditions and I remember my first day (laughs) new outfit had it on before but never face an outfit and I'm now going out of this door dressed so we're changing in a disabled toilet two of us and uh, 
I said, I'm just going to go outside just to walk around. Back of the building, three lifts, school, play centre, staircase. Very busy when I went in. And uh, so I came out and the door went bang behind me. And there were just two people where there were hundreds of before moving. And they were just standing there. <laughs> and they looked at me when the door went bang. And I went, hello. And they went, all right. And I said, oh, you don't look very happy. And they said, no, we're not. Our son's just died. Oof. But right away, they brought in the other side of the job for me, because the job is not just working with children in a hospital. You're working with the parents. They're going through far more stress than the child is. So I just put my arms around these two and just held them really tight like this. And we just had a big hug. Then the lift came and took him away. <laughs> and I went back into the toilet and went, oh, my God. Ah. And we had a hug, a lot of hugs when you're working in that environment. Um, it was not easy work. And I think what people forget about performing and certainly in clowning especially is you're hired to do a, a gig at a venue you've never been there before <laughs> you don't know anything about the people you're working for really apart from a phone call or two um uh, you don't know where to change. You don't know where to put your props. The whole thing is like a, a completely made environment. And you're the catalyst that's going to create all the laughter through it. And um, sometimes getting to the place. <laughs> I used to do all my work on a motorbike, on a scooter. <laughs> all my bags and my props on the back of a scooter. And I would be going all over London working, you know, because you, you take a gig, you don't know where, where it is until you look it up. You say, oh, my God, that's miles away. Ah. And the rain and, and, and you can imagine doing anything on a motorbike, you know. So you arrive at a venue, <laughs> you're soaking wet, you're late, you know, you have to transform and appear in record quick time as another character for two hours, two and a half hours, and then take it all off and get back on a motorbike and go home. <laughs> it was um, very interesting times, mm. but it's, it's a good challenge. You know, life, life is a challenge and I always found the work in the hospital to be the the best clowning I've ever done because the rewards can be instant. You know, you can be in a room for three minutes and change the whole atmosphere in that room. And I have punched the air many times when you leave a, a ward or a room and go, yes, I did that. Three minutes worth of... I used to have a, a mantra, <laughs> which was three laughs and I'm off. <laughs> and I've made you laugh well three times. I have to go mm. because you've got to 
you've got a lot of people, just a four-hour shift with maybe 10 minutes off for a cup of tea. Mm. Um, it's a lot of walking for a start. You can... And you have, you have to forms to fill out, you know. It's quite a... It was quite an adventure. Throughout your career, have people of different ages reacted similarly to your performances? You know, children at Great Ormond Street and adults, sort of people react very differently in different ages. And, and why do you think people react the way they do to, uh, to class? And, and I would say, well, obviously, it's a different reaction from a three-year-old than you'd have from a 23-year-old. But I've not ever had a lot of, oh, you're scary, go away. I've never had a lot of that because you learn to see it from a distance. You can see when somebody doesn't want you to be near them as a clown. So you don't go near them. Um, if you're working in a hospital and you, you know, children are going like that, you don't go near them. But you might reference them and you might go back and see them later because you've got other conditions which you have to take into consideration, like medication, pain. <laughs> I remember making a, a, somebody laugh and then say, oh, no, go away. Oh, my stitches are hurting. Oh, oh, no, oh, I can't laugh anymore. Go away, go away. <laughs> so, yes, you have to be a bit careful in the hospital. Mm. But very interesting work, mm. and I used to love it. I used to love it. And I only really stopped doing it because um, I got shingles. I got shingles quite possibly from the hospital. But the result was I couldn't work. And um, I was, I couldn't sleep. Couldn't sleep for weeks and weeks and weeks. I couldn't sleep because of the pain and uh, the itching and, and, and. Um, so I retired from clown doctoring. Mm. I just said, I just have to rest. Mm. Um, but then I went to Australia to work um, with a mate of mine who uh, used to be a clown doctor, set up clown doctors in Australia uh, around Sydney, now living in Newcastle when I went to see him. And uh, he was working with dementia, working in care homes. So I was going to change my whole sort of career. Instead of working only with children, I would work in care homes. So I did a lot of training, a lot of visits to a lot of care homes and trailed. But I really didn't. In I could do the work. Yes. Did I really enjoy the work? No. I found it very depressing because my mother was going into dementia when she died and the, everybody I saw was in varying states. Dementia is not just one level. You have extreme cases where people are just forgetful at one end and completely uh, absorbed by this terrible affliction. And um, uh, it was also the idea of moving to Australia. When, I, when we first talked about it, I was going to learn and bring the charity here, and he was going to come and be the ambassador, and I would have been the 
the agent, if you like, to find people to do the work. Mm. Uh, but because of funding, uh, his whole organisation of about 80, 90 performers he had, all, the, all through New South Wales, um, uh, the money ran out. And so he... Um, but he's my age as well. Uh, that's another thing. <laughs> when you In your late 60s, do you really want to take on a whole other career in another country? Nah. Mm. Great holiday and fab guy to be with because the two of us are like two peas in a pond. Mm. <laughs> yeah, um, so if you get to just go back in time again a little bit, I wanted to ask you when you were at school, you time. said... <laughs> You said you were very into theatre and this kind of stuff, but your, your peers and your friends at school, were you were you the joker? Were you known as someone yes. that made people laugh? From yeah, age? my nickname was Smiler, mm. which always sounded like a criminal to me. Mm. Oh, it's Smiler! <laughs> yes. And uh, I was saying to you earlier about going back to the reunion at my school, Burley, in Plymouth, before it was pulled down. And uh, meeting up with kids I was at school with sort of 30 years before. And uh, none of them were at all surprised. What are you doing now, Matthew? Uh, <laughs> I'm a clown. Oh, yeah, I thought you would do something like that. <laughs> Nobody was at all surprised. <laughs> <laughs> and when you decided that you wanted to pursue this as a career, what did any of your friends or your family think of, think about that? Um, I think they all thought it was great, you know. Um, I think my career has been very, uh, not spectacular, but you know, I've worked in a lot of countries uh, for quite long stints. You know, I worked in Africa for seven and a half years, and I worked in Barbados for three and a half years. Mm. Um, to Japan, I mean, how wonderful is that? I've been to Japan twice with the Rocky Horror Show. Mm. You know, 16-city tour, the second, th three theatres the first year. Second year, 16 cities went all over Japan. So, yeah. And Barbados uh, it was fabulous. I lived on the beach. Mm. And my clown suit has always been my other suit. In fact, probably the only suit I have because... I don't wear suits, <laughs> but you know what I mean? Mm. My other persona in a box. And when I went to Sun City, I worked to Sun City. Well, I, I did. I worked to Sun City for five years, two and a half years in Lesotho. Uh, when I went to Sun City, when they booked me, I was chief public relations officer. And I said, same people that used to be in Lesotho so when you're in a management team they like their friends around them so that's why I got a phone call because I'm the sort of person that can put my hand to anything and I enjoy that I'm an Aryan so I love projects projects are really important and certainly during lockdown <laughs> <laughs> filled with projects my life mm. uh, in lockdown um but I remember saying to them, can I bring my clown suit? And they said, oh, you'll be far too busy for any of that. I said, but I always take my clown suit. Yeah, bring it, bring it. And it was wonderful because 
I was <laughs> PRO in a white suit, like a white tornado with flashy shirts and a handkerchief and white shoes, like a, and my assistant with both coordinated colours, you know, red shirts today, you know. And um, uh, the change from that to dressing in a clown suit. And uh, because I was PRO, I, I put on three circuses for the kids on the grass. And um, <laughs> we had a hot air balloon going up and down with kids in it, which was fun for a while until the wind came up and the pilot said, oh, this is getting a bit dangerous for the kids. Hey, why don't you and I go for a balloon trip? <laughs> okay. <laughs> put on a crash helmet, though. So I put on a red crash helmet, which looked great with the clown suit. And whoosh, off, we took the ropes off, and off we went. <laughs> and Sun City was about this big, you know, in the distance. Then the wind stopped. And I said, what do we do? Do we do this? How, where do we go now? So... We came low over the ground to get current off the ground. And he said, right, I'm coming down. I'm going to land it here. I said, no, no, this is the game reserve. We can't land in the game reserve. So we crash landed. It's dark now. But I have a, a red flashing nose as a clown. <laughs> and I have a bow tie with light bulbs on it. And uh, we crash landed way off the road. They were following us in the car to pick us up, but we were way off the road. So we found our way back to the road with my bow tie, <laughs> flashing red nose, telling them where we were. Mm. It was fabulous, mm. but it was a great place to work. Mm. Great place to work for. Have there been any things throughout your career that you found difficult about performing as a professional clown? Is there anything that's been tricky or difficult? Um, <laughs> <laughs> Where to start? I think every time you dress as a clown, it sets its own course, if you like. Because you don't know, as I said earlier, you don't know where you're going to be performing. don't know what the kids are going to be like. You know, kids after tea, when they've all had three Cokes and lots of sugary cakes, you know, they're, they're lethal. They they hit and the, <laughs> it's like oh my goodness you know can be not always um, it's a rule of thumb if you do a kids party try not to let them eat first because you will have the results of that to deal with tea will be easy and then there'll be like twenty minutes and then there'll be climbing the walls <laughs> and then you have to try and focus them to sit down to do watch a magic show or to play games you know it's a a path of sugar <laughs> quite often coming to a, a, a kids party house and you see the tea table you think oh my goodness it's all sugar it's all sugar. I'm going to have a nightmare in about 20 minutes. <laughs> so not always an easy job, mm. but you're employed to do a job. So you you have to fight your way through it. It's, it's the warning signs along the way mm. that make you realize this may not be an easy 
gig. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and how did you learn to perfect your craft? So how did you learn, <coughs> how did you train to become a professional clown and to act, right? And how long does that take and where did you go to do it? And- I think there was a lot of uh, in- instant uh, fun for me and comedy, which I came from me. And that's basically what clowns are, is their their personality, their clown personality bursts forth. Um, I'm not a juggler, um, uh, but I do a lot of magic. I've always got pockets filled with magic to... I can stand in one place for 20 minutes and do a show. Quite often we have musical bum bags that strap around your waist so you've got music to move you through so you're walking show uh shopping center work or fates or garden parties or stuff um so the work is quite instant from that perspective training wise um working as a clown doctor i learned a lot of um all sorts. Of, we had a whole range of tra- training put upon us, uh, which was very helpful. We were quite a big organisation. Theodora had um, based in, in Switzerland. They had satellite charities: um, France, Germany, uh, Belarus, in Russia. Which is a story I'll tell you because I was sent to Belarus. Mm. <laughs> which is uh, in the news now. I bet nobody knew where it was until recently. Um, so, yeah, a lot of really good training, um, uh, which helped me greatly in the hospitals, greatly. Can you say a bit more about what you, how you'd actually explain what, what a clown is? What are, they, what are they trying to do when they're performing? And, and why does... Why does what they do actually entertain people? What's going on there? Well, the, uh, it's a very you're the 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 catalyst to laughter. It's your art as a clown to make people laugh, without hurting or embarrassing, but just pulling on their funniness. So it's it's quite a fine balance. You. You have a relationship with your whole audience. For instance, if you're doing a kid's party and you're adults at the back, they have to be on your side. They can't be talking because that will upset the entire thing. So you're inviting them into the show. Oh, what what you got around your neck? You, you're sort of bringing them into the, the whole fabric. So... Uh, that wasn't the question you asked me, though, was it? What you said, was... how would you explain exactly what a clown is and okay, what yeah, they're right. trying to do when they're performing? And yeah, well, that's it. it. You, you, the, you're the catalyst of laughter. You, your aim is to lighten the load. And in the hospital, as I said earlier, was probably the most... Um, uh, the best clowning I've ever done, I think. But, you know... At, Twice I've met the Queen. Um, I met her at the Albert Hall, and we shook hands, and my nose flashed as we shook hands, and she went, Ooh! <laughs> like this. <laughs> uh, and as she walked off, one of her 
uh, attendant said, Thank you very much for that. The Queen, Her Majesty's had a cold. And that's the first time we've seen her really laugh for weeks. Thank you. Oh, how nice. And then about three or four months later, she was opening the ITN building in Grazian Road, where ITN News comes from. And I was just employed to be a clown (laughs) to look after the staff children behind a barrier in the foyer. And I had a lot of fun before the Queen arrived, playing around outside. They were building a, a, a building opposite, and all the people were, all the workers were sitting on the scaffolding, ready for the Queen's arrival. And it was all getting busy, and oh, the Queen's here, the Queen's here, oh crap! <laughs> Behind the barrier, and we all had our flags, and all the got all the kids to go hurrah! as the Queen came in on the red carpet, came in, went downstairs, and I carried on with the kids, make, doing magic and making balloons. And the, oh, Queen's coming back, Queen's coming. Ready, ready, ready. Like this, she, she came onto the red carpet, came opposite me, <laughs> looked in my direction, came off the red carpet, came straight over. <laughs> she said, hello. Have you been entertaining the children? I said, oh, surely have your majesty. And she said, yes, I could hear all the rumpus when I was downstairs. <laughs> well, so nice to meet you again. Goodbye. And then the Duke of, Duke, <laughs> Duke of Edinburgh went past and he said, you don't work here as well, do you? And I said, yeah, I read the news on a Sunday. Have you seen me? <laughs> <laughs> And as they went, I thought, oh, my goodness. Wow, what an encounter with the Queen, mm. you know. And she really... I hadn't realised how small she was. George. <laughs> but her face really lit up, you know. And I've, I've thought to myself, all the trials that wonderful woman has gone through, uh, in recent years especially... Maybe she needs a court jester. Maybe I'll <laughs> write to her and say, hey, do you fancy a court jester? <laughs> and why not? Mm. You know, it's for, life is for seizing the moment. Mm. How has being a clown in your career affected your personal life? When you're, What effect has that had on you in the way you look at the world? Um, well, I think it's... There are spin-offs in clowning in that, um, for instance, I'm a very positive thinker and I don't like negative people. So I'm always looking for humour and always looking for things that are nice. You know, there are a lot of people that live their life very much... (laughs) Shall we say the East End away? Oh yeah, yeah, down the pub. I'll get you. You know, it's all oh, steer clear, like the Deserata says, steer clear of loud and aggressive people. And I've managed to do that in my life mm. very quickly. Sometimes meet people saying, "No, no, no, don't like you." You're negative, mm. uh, and a lot of people thrive on negativity and i don't so it's helped you 
maintain a good positive attitude. yes absolutely all the way through my life always mm, always mm. and i have little mantras i did a course in in um uh laughter therapy completely separate to working in the hospitals you know i did this course and um there are a few little mantras certainly um the morning exercise i do every morning which is uh, laughter yoga <laughs> if you do that for five minutes in the mirror i do it when i'm shaving in the mirror if you do that your whole body uh becomes alive with the endorphins uh which as you laugh it doesn't the body doesn't know whether you're doing it because you're laughing or you're making the laughter up it doesn't matter as long as you laugh these endorphins are released into the system and you feel better and it's my wake up um my i don't do much other exercise so why does that exercise my face because my body doesn't get a lot of it <laughs> do you think if anyone tried that for a, a few days they'd notice a, an effect it makes you feel better absolutely mm. and you know it's it's a, a well-known fact that if you stick somebody in, in a, who has cancer in a room with 300 uh, dvds that i have here I've got everything from Mr. Bean to Laurel and Hardy to you name it. Uh, I've got it on my shelf. If you if you chained somebody to a television and told them to view all those, they'd have to laugh. It would bring them out of their depression. Mm. Sadly, life is not easy. It hasn't been easy for a long time, and it's getting far more complicated uh war doesn't help but you know it's getting far more complicated anyway with the cost of living and supermarket prices going up but i think if you have a um i'm quite a spiritual person as well so i i focus very much on um uh water features and water and fresh air going up on Hampstead Heath and go for long walks on Hampstead Heath. Fabulous. You know, we're both from Devon. Dartmoor was always my home as a kid or out on the boat with dad, you know, I mean, how wonderful is that? And how many children that live in London don't have that opportunity that we had as children, mm. you know, life is very different mm. for a lot of kids, mm. sadly. You've worked with a lot of other clowns is there a certain personality that lends itself to being good at this job are you are you often very pretty similar people or is it a, a real mixture it's a real mixture mm. and people come to clowning because it's a it's a, a release a relief a new channel they come to clowning for all sorts of reasons and they come from all different sorts of backgrounds um uh, quite often, people that have had quite a completely different career have fallen into clowning. My career has been very much uh, theatre clowning related because I started at 19 uh, when I started clowning. Um, uh, it was a natural for me, in a way, because um, I was just keen to do it. 
and it was a, a good path. And I thought, oh, this is fabulous. This is me. And you know it within yourself, you know. And it's such a pity at where we are presently with entertainers and COVID and everything uh, of this freelance nature sort of shut down completely. Um, because new clowns and young clowns become clowns because they see clowns because they enjoy what's happening and want to be part of it. That's what clowning's all about. It's, you don't have to be a clown. There's nobody saying, right, you're going to be a clown. Well, and probably unless you work in circus and you were a trapeze artist and you fell and broke your leg or your arm, even worse, um, then clowning is a career that you're probably not forced into, but it's uh, uh, if you want to stay in circus, you've got to work and you've got to find something that um, <laughs> you're able to make some money because there don't have many freeloaders in circus, sadly. I also wanted to ask you about, and we spoke a little bit about this earlier um, before we met on the phone, about how clowns are sometimes used in the media or films or culture, this kind of thing, sometimes in a kind of negative light. Mm. So the, the 2019 film, The the Joker, they used a kind of clown figure there in this kind of negative sense. Yes. Kind of, what do you make of that? Well, that I saw it on, uh, like It, I've never seen... <laughs> Actually, I saw 10 minutes of It on the way to Australia and I <laughs> took the first gory bit, I thought, no, 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 it's easy on a plane. You switch to another channel. I thought, that's all I want to watch. And the Joker, I think I watched more of the Joker because there's a whole sort of psyche behind his uh, Joker character. But um, no, it, it's, it for me was painful to watch, you know. Um, and th the whole, um, uh, shall we say, Pennywise, that character from It, um, very scary. And, you know, not what we're all about as clans. It, it takes the, the clan face in a totally different direction. In fact, interestingly, the, um, the scary clan and it was in the papers and people with hatchets in car parks dresses clowns and stuff normally around halloween because these masks used to come over from america and they were in the shops and people bought them and it instant clown an instant reaction by putting on a horrible mask and appearing in a car park at 11 o'clock it's guaranteed to make anybody freak out um and but interestingly there was a bit of a, a, a backlash against these masks and you see very few of them now there was an era where these were imported from the state they're all american that culture came from america of it and everything but i was going to say luckily our audience for clowning <laughs> is this high 
four, five, six, seven. Most of those children don't have mobile phones, don't have access to scary photos. So their approach is pure. And they just see clowning as good fun. You know, children, children laugh 300 times a day. And when you get to be an adult, you're lucky if you laugh three times a day, you know. And this whole thing of people being scared of clowns, people are more scared of bananas than they are of clowns. Clowning in the scary poll is 18. Bananas is three. <laughs> so it's, but it's, it's the painted face. It's also being personal space. As we were talking earlier that when I see people that you can see they don't like you, the eyes go like this, and oh, then you don't go near them. There are many other people to entertain. You know, don't go near people that don't want you near them. Simple. Mm. I feel like in films and uh, it being culture, the the clown in, in a negative sense is as you say in movies like it it's just used as a a scary horrible yeah. character and a monster but in, in the joker and some other things i think the idea is maybe a little bit different it's not supposed to be necessarily a monster it's more that the the kind of clown mask and yeah. the, the appearance it's it's a kind of a mask for yeah. a supposedly happy character who's yeah. actually a little bit sad mm. and struggling mm. is there any truth to that at all in any of the clowns you've met that maybe people are drawn to performance sometimes as a, as a kind of way to cope with the fact they actually are, are not as happy as they seem beneath. Yes, absolutely. Uh, you know, clowning is um, offered uh, to people as a sort of a, a release. Interestingly, I've been to a place called El Ain twice, uh, which is near Dubai, to a theme park. The theme park was called... Um, Hilly, Hilly Fan City. And I went there first as a clown and we, for Ramadan. And we walked the park. Very much like Thought Park with that big structure like they got at Thought Park. Well, they had exactly the same structure. They also had an ice rink, which was the same as Thought Park as well. Same company. And uh, so the first year, just walked around as a clown having wonderful time. In all, <laughs> in all that heat, because cloud face and sunshine don't go too well together. Neither do heavy costumes. And the second year, uh, that I heard there was they were going back to Hillyfun City, so I phoned the agent and I said to him, "Hey, you're going back to Hillyfun City? Do you need clowns?" He said, "Oh no, I'm doing a Batman show." Um. I said, well, I'm, I'm an actor as well. He said, oh, I'll think about that. And he phoned me and he said, how do you fancy being the Joker in Batman? So, oh. So, basically, there was a big show in the evening and they had a Joker. And he was, he did trapeze and trampoline and high wire, did all sorts of, they all did. But, we had a team that went around in the original bat car. Bat, ancient, I think it did 12 miles to the gallon or something. It was like huge. And dressed exactly the same, same costume. In fact, I used to make up 
the main Joker every night because the makeup was so complicated. But I would spend the day uh, doing photos with all the children uh, on top of the information center. <laughs> so, yeah, so I played the Joker, mm. but kids loved the, the movie. So we were all, shall we say, um, appreciated. And also in countries like the Middle East, they don't see clowns. You know, it's like a rare event. And there's no um, preconception. Uh, they just enjoy the fun mm. of clowning. Yeah, so people just obviously in, in enjoy that fun. I think I was actually asking slightly more though, as as the as the person who is the clown, not the audience viewing it, um, yeah. not the audience viewing it. If there's the idea sometimes, isn't there, in these films like The Joker, that it's a happy character and they're smiling, but they're actually struggling themselves. They're sad and they kind of yeah, put yeah. this figure on to kind of you know to to pretend that they're not. I was wondering if you've ever encountered any people who are clowns themselves, who are, who are who miserable, are, who are maybe miserable, yeah, before. and they're doing this because of this this reason, because that's 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 the other kind of yes, idea that, yeah. that's used in movies. And like we've said about it, this is a kind of a silly idea that they use these monsters. Is there any truth to this idea at all? This was kind of more of the idea in the joke. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm I'm sure mm. a, a lot of clowns um, have. Um, uh, their own problems which clowning has helped them through i think because there's a lot of clown workshops where people aren't becoming professional clowns they're finding their clown within their personality through workshops through working walk walking workshops through uh expressioning through just laughter I mean, uh, <laughs> laughter workshops can be amazing. I went to a laughter workshop in Hyde Park. No, in Green Park, under a tree, all around this tree. And it was just a laughter evening. And it was been raining, so everybody got ground sheets down. I didn't realise it was a picnic as well. <laughs> I just went along. <laughs> I took Kit Kat on me. That's all I had for the picnic. <coughs> we all laid on the floor around this tree, linking hands, and we just started laughing. And you, you take a laugh around the circle, so one person will start it, and the next person will try to continue it and maybe change it. And I remember this very well-dressed lady with heels saying, Excuse me, what are you doing? You're having a laughter workshop. Oh, it sounds wonderful. Can I join in? of course <laughs> and then somebody else came in and there were about about 15 people around this tree and we were all laughing hysterically and when we got up everybody was hugging and we didn't know anybody laughter is such an important theme should be through our lives it it will save our life you know when you when you laugh uh it allows your soul to breathe. Um, in fact, um, there's a lovely quote from um, Mike Myers. The laughter blows the dust off your soul. And it's, it is. It's, uh, and Charlie Chaplin said, um, uh, laughter is the closest distance between two people. And it's true when you meet somebody, 
you look at their eyes and you immediately have a um ability to sort of read their soul quite often and it's that that you're trying to bring out of somebody when you're getting very deep now <laughs> but That's it's good. true yeah. laughter is an important um part of our life that we should never ever lose which hopefully continue through all of our life um and hopefully we'd always have the ability to have access to it you know if if only personally by by watching funny films by doing funny things or or creating a nice space you know i'm i'm a i'm a litter fanatic i've i'm always picking up coke cans off the floor and because it makes me feel good that the place looks tidy you know that um i'm helping other people who are lazy basically <laughs> what what's been the best thing about your career is it simply that that thing of just making people laugh and being a bit happier what's been the, the best and most fulfilling part of being a clown um well, that in a nutshell, fifty years of making people laugh has been great, and there haven't been many, uh, haven't been many times in my life uh, that um, I can honestly say uh, I haven't done clowning. It's been the thread through my life, and I think if you cut my arm off, it would say, like a stick of rock, it would say clown all the way through it, you know, because as you can see in this room, I'm surrounded by them. <laughs> so the last question I wanted to ask you was about your plans for the future. What have you got planned? I know that you've got a, a documentary about you coming out. Yes, yes. Um, a guy called um, Shane O'Neill. Every year we have a church service. Um, it used to be around Grimaldi's grave in uh, Pentival Road in St. James's Chapel. That's where the first one, the clowns, were around his grave and it became a memorial day for Joseph Grimaldi. Faith, if people don't know, he was a clown from about eight. 1800, uh, very famous in circus, uh, uh, in pantomime. But pantomimes went on six months. They, and you know, they made little statues like this. So when you went to uh, see a show, instead of buying a DVD or a CD of the show afterwards and a program, you bought a little statue and um, a hand-painted, coloured-in, painting of him working uh i've lost my track where was i um 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 i was saying about the doc documentary oh Did yes yes so um the church service that's right so i've been producing the church service for years um putting in the uh the performers into this a big service six some six seven hundred people in a church in february which is quite something in london um and it was a, a beautiful occasion um fantastic for everybody to meet up 
fantastic everybody to have some fun memorial service also to uh, say goodbye to clans that have passed in that last year and a good get together for everybody um but and i've been coordinating the uh, um people that want to do documentaries or take photos for years <clears throat> and this guy came to me wanting to do a documentary but a in-depth documentary um me organizing the event and talking about the event and then um about a, a third maybe a bit more had already been recorded and then uh we had covid <clears throat> which changed the path of the documentary so it's become a, um a documentary really about my life in a way uh what i've done in my career um and it's just called clown uh, with a subtitle it's a serious business being funny and i talk seriously about exactly what i've been talking about now um how it's it's not always easy being a clown <laughs> but always enjoyable afterwards um so it's not quite out there yet it's only 12 minutes um and he's made it as a sort of um a calling card for his future work because he's a, a freelance uh, director so this is him saying yes this is what I can do and it's a really nice piece because he's had weeks months probably to put it together because of COVID everybody was working from home and how better to sit in your office and edit and he put cartooning in it it goes into cartoon four times in 12 minutes with me going into voice going oh hello <laughs> it's very funny <laughs> makes me laugh and i'm in i'm in it that's the other thing about when you watch yourself i, I can watch myself and think oh he's funny oh god it's me <laughs> it's a weird thing mm -hmm. when you put on a different face you can almost view yourself completely separately like was that really me well, we look forward to seeing that. And uh, thank you so much for speaking and for sharing your story. Oh, my pleasure. And for bringing a little bit more joy and laughter to the world as well. So, Absolutely. Us Plymouth lot. boys, got yeah. to keep the world laughing. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Thanks a lot, Matthew. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. If you enjoyed the Human Podcast, please consider subscribing. I hope to see you soon.